Awesome. Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning and, and worshiping. And uh, as you uh, pull out your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 8. Uh, and as you find that, go ahead and stand. We'll, we'll read that together. And as you're doing that, I'll give you a little, little time to find that and, and get standing if you're able. But uh, I wanted to thank you again for uh, the Pastor's Appreciation Month and all the cards and the, no the notes and uh, the ways that you guys have poured out your appreciation to us. Uh, it's not something we, we take for granted. We, uh, we, we know that we're loved here. And uh, we also want you to know that uh, we love you guys too, uh, that we pray for you guys and, and, um, and you guys are constantly on our hearts and minds. And we are blessed to be a part of a church that, that actively ministers. We are pastors, but we're all, us three, we're pastors, but we're all ministers. We all, um, we're lucky to be a part of a church that takes that seriously as you guys go out and live your lives and minister to the people in our community and your jobs at your schools to be able to do that. And I know that that's something that is the greatest appreciation we have for you at the church that is truly unified and truly um, takes the, the ministry of Christ seriously. So. Thank you for that. Uh, we're going to read from, from Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 8. Here we go. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of the, God, of the Lord to the people of the Lord. We've been taught to say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we venture into exploring uh, Jubilee represented in Leviticus 25, uh, it, it's, it's a great chapter. If uh, you haven't really read it in full yet, I encourage you to do so. Um, that little intro that that we play with the video uh, speaks great volumes into what we're talking about specifically today. And Leviticus 25, uh, it captures a lot of different elements of Jewish life that was supposed to be true, was supposed to guide them so that they could be a blessing to all peoples. And as we look at that, we see one uh, principle that sticks out. It not only takes into account the small individual picture, the guidance for individual people's lives, but it also has an eye on that big picture, the community, the long time, the long history. Uh, God didn't just enact these rules for a small time for one person. He, he gave them a goal. He gave them a structure to be able to achieve and live out as a, as a nation, as a people, as a faith, to be the blessings of God to the world. That was the idea of Israel. They were chosen people not just for their own sake, but for the sake of the world. And Leviticus 25 points out that, that greater community perspective. And then various lessons we've learned from, from contemporary events like, like COVID and some of the struggles that we're facing, that is something we also learn, is perspective. 
The perspective is simply how we perceive objects or ideas from different angles. Sometimes uh, trying to gain a truer, more accurate understanding of what we're trying to view. Typically, to have greater perspective means to have further distance, to take in the bigger picture and, and relation. So if you imagine it like this, and I can see my finger, right? I can see like one or two fingers. It's all kind of blurry. Now, I can see that finger, but I can't see my hand. It's all kind of fuzzy. And the truth is, yes, I see my finger. My finger's there. That is true. But as I move away, my eyes focus, and they're able to get a greater perspective on my hand to see the broader picture. And in the same way, perspective with ideas, sometimes it, what we experience because of how we're made, because of who we are, our experiences are so close to us. We feel them in a way that we don't feel other people's experiences, past or present. And so that perspective is gained when we go outside of ourselves a little bit and we're able to walk back and see more of the picture of other people's experiences and also of what God is trying to do in, in creation. Um, you ever watched Lord of the Rings? A lot of the, the tricks that they do to make the Hobbit seem so small and Gandalf seem so big is what they call forced perspective. Uh, it's not just CGI. They're actually real people there, real actors. And the actors are more like, I mean, there's a height difference there. But they actually, like, move them back and have them sit in different style chairs to make it seem like Gandalf is, like, eight feet tall and the Hobbits are, like, two feet tall. That's forced perspective. It's kind of a warping of of what they want the moviegoer to see. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci was famous for uh, his ability to, no matter where you stood in the room, you were able to see it as if it was almost a three-dimensional picture. And so that was hard to do, especially like with The Last Supper, uh, to be able to feel like you were in the room. It's not something that you can just do two-dimensional. It has to be mapped out. You would actually have sketchings and drawings to be able to to force you to see something that was two-dimensional as if it was three-dimensional. And, you know, as we get older, we get more experience. And as we get more experience, yes, there's a sense in which we increase the perspective that we have to offer. That's why for kids, for you kids, you teens and children, yes, your parents have experience and perspective to offer you that you should take seriously that you should listen to, that you should allow to guide you. I see a lot of parents looking at their kids. That's okay. Um, you're allowed to, that's, that's something we should take seriously. For you elders in the church, that's something we should all take seriously is the, the perspective that you have over your years of service in life, uh, the mistakes and successes that you've made. I've had lots of great conversations with you over the years to hear uh, what you've gone through in life, uh, what you've learned, where you've been, and I do. I take those in. Uh, I take those experiences that are shared with me by those who've gone ahead of me in life to be able to learn, like, what do I value? What do I, what do I want to do with my time? Where is God leading me? And that perspective is valuable. Sometimes we learn from perspective, and it makes us better people. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it turns us cynical or bitter. Um, but for a lot of us, it's something that gains value in how we view uh, life, the real value of the wisdom that we have. Um, as I get, keep going, I want to stop for a second. I don't know if I would call this a disclaimer, uh, but it is very important to me. I'm going to walk a fine line in trying to talk about perspective 
and, and as Romans talked about our sufferings. Uh, but I want you to know, as I walk this line, as we take that, that step back and look at a bigger picture, I want you to know that in no way am I attempting to um, minimize the individual experiences we have. Uh, most of us have suffered some, and some of us have suffered much. And my heart, our heart goes out to all of us, all of you, who have in your life um, suffered in, in some ways that strike to your heart that are still painful, that you're still healing from. And so that's why, um, as I lay this out, it's important for me that you understand what I'm not saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, not minimizing any of those experiences. It's also not meant to dismiss the challenges that we face today, the evil. There's real evil today. And uh, as we look at bigger pictures, it's not meant to uh, minimize that, the brokenness that we face uh, in our community and around the world. Uh, I really do believe that there's, we have a long, long ways to go. There's a lot of work that God wants to do in and through us to heal this world. Obviously, COVID dominates the conversation at almost all levels, and uh, it's something we take seriously as a church, as a people, that it, it's, it has. It's killed over 220,000 people, and I looked it up. It makes it the second or third depending on how you count, leading cause of death in the United States. It's right around uh, heart disease and cancer, things that we take very seriously. Uh, suffering, loss of life is, is something that we as the people of Christ, um, when people's hearts are broken, when people lose um, loved ones, that's something that we are called to surround them with love and peace, uh, to take steps to protect the value of human life. God didn't create this world for nothing. We have a physical universe for a reason. God's intention is to work through that, uh, and so it's important for us to, to take these things seriously. Uh, it's also made life difficult. The struggles that we do is we try to find ways to, to live life safely, uh, but also still function. It's caused a lot of challenges for some of you, and I'm in no way minimizing um, you parents that are struggling with how you teach your kids right now. How do you, how do you work and provide, but also have your kids continue to get education, and that's very real. Uh, perspective does add a sense of relative, relative truth, but it's not meant to be comparative or competitive. It's not a one-upmanship. It's not a sense in which, as we see the bigger picture, our experiences don't matter, or that we look at uh, one person suffering next to another person suffering, and, and it's that competitiveness, that one-upmanship, is not something that is, I think is valuable. It's not something I see represented in the Bible. Uh, and I'm also not trying to depress you. We're going to go through some, some quick history. And I know that for me, I learn from that. And I, I find value in knowing what other people have experienced in depth. But I know for some of you, that's not uh, something that you enjoy. That it may um, affect you in different ways. And I am sensitive to that. So as we go through these conversations, uh, I hope that you see the, or that you're encouraged and that you're, we're exhorted to rise to the challenges that we're facing. So, that's my disclaimer. Um, perspective might say, what if the crazy thing is not what we're currently facing, but how stable and comfortable we've been in recent times? We look at that and we, we experience the things that we have today, and we experience the challenges we're facing today. They're jarring to us, but they're jarring to us in a lot of ways that we're going to look at because... We've been comfortable for a long time. We've experienced a certain amount of stability and, and ease as a, as a community, as a country, and even as a world globally that is uh, unheard of. 
We looked at the collective experiences of humanity in recorded history. We gained perspective on our own lives and experiences. And more importantly, we can learn what God can do in our lives and through those experiences. We're not just to look at uh, some suffering and, and what we're experiencing and what past people have, have experienced, but also what God is doing in those things, what God can do in those things. And so I have a slide here we're going to put up here. Uh, we, took at, we look at the, the experience that we have of relative peace. And uh, this was a very interesting chart I was able to find. Um, and it shows, this is like 1400. I know the, the lettering's really small. This is about 1400 uh, ADCE, and this is current day. And it's a logarithmic scale, which means that it's kind of compressed a lot, and it should be stretched out a lot. Those peaks and valleys should be way higher than they are, but they couldn't fit it on, excuse me, the graph uh, if they didn't scrunch it. And so you see, this is the per capita war deaths, uh, a lot of them civilians, that happens for the last 600 years. And you see these uh, peaks and valleys, but these peaks are dramatically higher and the valleys are dramatically lower if it was a linear scale. Uh, and you see here you have Napoleonic War, you have World War I, World War II, and it goes into our century here. And again, this is basically what I would call probably Syria, uh, the Syrian War and some of these refugee situations. Uh, and remember that this is, this is serious. The Syrian War and, and, other, and other instabilities in Afghanistan, Iraq, and those places uh, is serious. But you can stretch that out and see that in the next uh, slide, how dr dramatic of a drop-off uh, wars. We talk about war and, and the wars today, and, and they're serious, and they have a huge and evil impact on people who go through them. But that perspective also forces us to look at, from World War II on, the relative peace, the great peace that we've had. This is a linear scale, so it's much easier to see that drop-off as it happens. Um, we have to we look at this, and again, not to depress you, but somewhere in here you have about 400 million people lost their lives because of the wars that existed uh, back then, and some of the civil wars, uh, communism, and some of those uh, situations that caused a great loss of life that's, that's unparalleled in human history. Um, as we look at the skyrocketing quality of healthcare and medicine is a big one we're really appreciating today. Uh, there's a dramatic drop-off in preventable, I've got another slide here, uh, dramatic drop-off in preventable disease deaths, smallpox, measles, uh, polio, like this is 1900, and uh, you get, as vaccines and antibiotics come into play, there's a huge drop-off. This represents in here about 700 million people, give or take, that we would consider died from preventable disease that we enjoy today. And so look at that perspective and the, the fact that we're able to live, our children are able to, to live full lives a lot of, uh, at a much, much, much higher percentage that people just this uh, last century were not able to enjoy. You go back even further, and plagues are a routine scourge that happens on a regular basis with bubonic plague in Europe killed a third of them. Justinian plague killed about maybe a quarter to half of the world's population. And there are lots of reasons why that happened with the volcano and famine. Um, again, I'm not trying to depress you. It's just we look at the human scale of suffering and what we experience today. Global economic stability, prosperity, certainly when we compare uh, the, all of human experience to what we, what we have here in America, it's unparalleled uh, 
uh, stability, unparalleled economic prosperity, if you have less than two people per bedroom in your house, if you have more than two or 300 square feet per person in your house, you are wealthy. If you have one car that's yours that works, you are wealthy. Even by today's standards, a lot of countries, that is considered wealthy, to have access to that. Kids, if you have your own bedroom, or even if you share a bedroom with one of a sibling, that's wealth. Uh, in the old days, in like 1800s, it wouldn't be uncommon for a family, even in America, to share, basically, you have one bedroom. Everybody in one bedroom. That would not be great for me. would not enjoy that. I don't think most of us would enjoy that. Uh, I remember my brother telling me a story about how he went to India, uh, and uh, he was there just to, to see Mumbai, Bombay, and as he was there, they told him not to, to give away anything to people because they would take it and they would sell it, not to give money uh, to those who were panhandling. And so he was trying to keep to that because he was trying to follow rules. And someone came up to him and asked him if he could, if that person could have my brother's mostly finished off bottle of water because they wanted to drink it because it didn't have diphtheria or typhoid or any of those things in it, that that was something that they were panhandling for was not dirty water. And I can attest to you, seeing the lakes, the body of waters there, it is a problem. That is poverty, to go out and beg for clean water. That is poverty. Uh, the level of partisanship, uh, you can go ahead and leave the slide. Level, level of partisanship is something that, that is a, 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 a conversation piece that we have today. We look at uh, yeah, it's not our best moment. Uh, the conversations we're having, the way that we're having them, it's not our best moment. But we also look at in American history, yeah, we look at the Civil War. We look at 600,000 Americans died over whether it was okay to own black people. We look at Jim Crow and segregation. We look at Hoovervilles, uh, World War I, uh, a lot of poverty that happened in the Great Depression. A lot of soldiers weren't able to um, get what they needed to, to survive. We have Hoovervilles and this, um, the angst that came with that. Uh, Vice President Aaron Burr killed Alexander Hamilton in a duel. Certainly, these are tough times for us to have good conversations, but it's also not the worst moment in American history as well. And I think that as we learn from that, we can keep that in mind as we strive to have better, healthier conversations. A religious freedom in America is unparalleled. The ability to be here to worship, the ability for other religions to practice their faith is important as people are able to make free choices. Uh, persecution isn't something as a religion that we face in America. There are individual exceptions, of course. There are people who have uh, been persecuted for their faith in America. But as a people, as a faith, we don't face that. Uh, as I met with people from around the world who worked in youth ministry, uh, I knew and had great conversations with the, those who who had to be, going to that, that conference was a matter of life or death. That for them to be there from countries that most of us wouldn't be able to find on a map, uh, they were risking their lives simply by going to a Christian conference in another part of the world. And so we look at, that's persecution. Uh, that is suffering for your faith in a way that most of us, if not any of us, have ever really experienced. And hopefully won't. Uh, so we look at all these things, and we put that together. Uh, and again, it's a quick view of history, but uh, my grandpa was born in 1902, and he frequently re repeated the quote, uh, those who yearned for the good old days weren't old enough to live them or forget 
what they were like. Uh, he was old enough to go from the horse and buggy to the space shuttle. Uh, he was born the day, uh, he was 81 to the day when I was born. His birthday is July 9th, as is mine. And so I was his greatest birthday present. That's what I always told him. Uh, but he had an a, a interesting span of life to go from, uh, again, the horse and buggy, pre, just barely, but pre-Wright Brothers, to the space shuttle, to see the advancements, to see society change. And that was something that uh, he affirmed. And of course, you know, if we really do yearn from the good old days, we can abandon all our possessions, go get 40 acres and a mule, and not go to the hospital when we get sick. We're more than welcome to do those things. But most of us won't, because we do appreciate the privileges that we have today. But think, also, in all that great suffering that the world has faced, God was still at work. Over the last 2,000 years, we see sort of that quick, big picture. God was still healing people. God was still building the church. The people of God were still, in a large sense, responding to the Holy Spirit's call. And all the suffering that, that people have faced throughout humanity, there was still a love for God. The church is still where it's at today because of the people in the past taking Romans 5 very, very seriously. Now, some departed from it. For some, it, it caused them to sin. It caused them to fall away from God. But for obviously many others, they took it in that sense of learning from it, uh, allowing God to provide for them character, perseverance, hope that built them up as a church, a privilege that we experience today to be able to be here. There are roughly two billion Christians in the world who are able to uh, build on that, to be able to, to continue to have the ability to influence and spread the gospel of Jesus because of those who went before us and because of their attitude and their ability to see through their own experiences to the long picture, the big game. Uh, as we look at the, all this recent peace, stability, and material wealth, increased health, are privileges that we've enjoyed and sometimes taken for granted. But privileges can either be a blessing or a curse. And that's something that I've struggled to realize as I look at what I have, and yeah, I take things for granted. Um, I had a, a loving, stable family. Uh, we, I grew up in the church, and it was easy for me to just say, that's normal. That's automatic. That's something that I've done, that I've earned. And I look at that and go, no, that's not. As I've had more conversations with people, I realize that that's not necessarily normal. That it's not a lot of ways things that I've done. It's things I've received. And it's humbled me in a way to realize that I am where I'm at in a lot of ways because of what has been bestowed to me. Uh, God's work in my life, but also the work of other people. Uh, my parents, my family, my previous churches, you guys speak into my life and bless me in ways that I wouldn't be able to do on my own. But those privileges can be blessings or curses. It's a matter of stewardship. We have more disposable time, for instance, than ever. We don't spend a lot of time gathering and getting food so we don't starve the next day. We have food. Uh, we have shelter. Those things are pretty well locked away for most of us here in this room. And there is hunger in Spokane Valley that we have to take seriously. But for a lot of us here, day-to-day -day living is not a big issue for us. So if we don't have time, if we're busy, if we're stressed out with, with time issues, it's because of how we're using our time. It's how we're allocating it. Pastor Mark uh, shared last, last week about, it hit me, um, my time, do we spend more time with YouTube or the Bible, right? 
And that hit me, like, well, how do I allocate my time? How do I spend that? It's a privilege to be able to have so much free time. We don't have to worry day to day about subsistence. But how do we allocate that? How do we use that? That can be a blessing or a curse. That could be time we spend with our kids and our family. It could be time we spend uh, going out in the community and helping make people's lives better. Or it can be wasted on lots of entertainment, uh, whatever else it is that we can waste time on. Uh, the money that we have, the resources we have is unparalleled. We have more purchasing power in, in America than, than I think is conceivable in world history. But what do we do with that? Do we use that to help uh, mitigate human trafficking, to feed others, to be able to, uh, to clothe, to be able to institute programs for substance abuse recovery, these sort of things? Uh, we have this money, these resources, this, this energy, these assets. How do we allocate those? We just buy more stuff? Uh, how we allocate, how we are stewards of privileges and sufferings that allows God to turn both into blessings. And I think that's the truth we see as we look back in time and we look at our people who've gone before us, the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. We see them take their experiences and turn them into blessings or curses. Whether it's privileges or sufferings, they can be used by God in both those different ways. That's why the passage in Romans 5 says, glory in our sufferings, because Paul, of all people, really does know what suffering is like. He both suffers from the thorn in his flesh. He suffers from the agony of knowing uh, his past life. He struggles, I bet he struggles with that, that past persecution, how he persecuted uh, the church of Jesus Christ. I bet that still stuck with him. I can't believe that he just forgot that. He also suffers in prison with beatings. Uh, he suffers in relative poverty from what he probably had before he entered the ministry of Christ. Paul really knows what God can do through suffering to produce hope in and through our lives. And that's why when we have uh, such a stack of privileges that we do have today, we should be maximizing them. Because from whom much is given, much is expected. In Matthew uh, 16... Uh, we see an interesting passage that, that Jesus shares with us, some, some powerful words. And uh, it's Matthew 16, 24. You want to pull that up. You don't have to stand this time. Um, Matthew 16, verse 24 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom." As we read that passage, there are some, I'm going to skip to the end here and kind of come back, but there's some who hear that last phrase uh, and, and think about today and go, yes, yeah, the end times today. Um, it's the end of the world that we see the challenges we're facing. It's, this is Jesus coming back. Maybe, but probably not. And I know that's not something that's common to say from the pulpit. You don't hear that often. But if we base solely, the second coming solely, on great human suffering— and turmoil, it would have happened well before this time. It would have happened probably 536 
A.D., C.E. If you actually want to look it up, 536 was probably the worst year in, in human history. If it's based on more than just human suffering and turmoil, if it's based on more than that, then his timing and reasoning is up to God. It's in God's mind. It's beyond our understanding. And as we look at trying to understand when Jesus will come back and how we view the end of the world, we understand that uh, um, it's hard for us to know, to read Revelation, to read Daniel, to read those scriptures, and read them with understanding the mind and heart and plans of God. And it's easy to take them for granted in, in our understanding of them as, uh, as true. If you, if you want to read some great books on the end times that give you some perspective, I suggest Hal Lindsey's 88 Reasons Why the World Will End in 1988. It's great. Don't pay for it. I don't think that I want to send the money there. I don't know how you would do that. But um, Pat Robertson has come out twice already in 1996, I think, in 2007 for the end times predictions. Jehovah's Witnesses founded on end times predictions. Jerry Falwell made some predictions about the end times. And so as we look at those examples uh, simply don't know what they're talking about. And we look at false prophecy as something we need to take very seriously, not just because it's being wrong but, and it's blasphemy, but also because it causes us to be distracted and misunderstand what God is trying to do. Now, I said maybe this could be the end times. I don't know, and you don't either, and these guys certainly don't. So if we look at living in the world um, today, if, if living like the world is going to end tomorrow or in a thousand years will make you love God and others better, then do that. If it spurs you on to, to help other people, to heal other people, to, to believe either it's going to be a long time before Jesus comes back or it's going to be tomorrow, then do that. Whatever it takes in your mind to live out the ministry of Christ, I'm okay with. As we encourage, as we look back at the course of human events, we are encouraged by Jesus' words here and the great cloud of witnesses before us in past generations to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus knew what he was getting into. I think that's important. It wasn't a surprise to Jesus. And as he calls on us to, to follow in the same, he understands the sacrifices that some Christians will be called to make. But certainly the willingness of all Christians as we follow Christ to endure challenges and sufferings that we face united together in serving Christ, ready to receive perseverance, character, and hope, willing to give up whatever is necessary for the ministry of Christ, whether it's pride or comfort or wealth. As we look at the, the challenges we face today's, today, uh, yeah, they're not minimal. They're, they're sometimes they're very hard on some of us in very real ways. And yet as Christians, we, we follow Christ. Wherever Christ goes, we follow that. Whatever is godly, we do that, almost disregarding the consequences of that, as Jesus did. Eager to use our privileges as blessings to others, as guided by the Holy Spirit. And all of this to be a shining light to the people of the world, reflecting who God is. We look at, again, our ancestors, the people who've gone before us in the faith, and we look at the ability to build the church up and its impact. We look at the impact that hospitals have had, which were in colleges, and universities that were, in a lot of times, founded by uh, mid-Christianity to spread that out, to be able to heal people in that way. We look at the different ministries in UGM, Salvation Army, uh, Christians founded Substance Abuse Recovery. Uh, all these things are huge, 
huge ways in which the people of the past saw problems, saw suffering, and didn't get disillusioned by it, didn't get cynical by it. They rose to the occasion to live out the ministry of Christ in their times as God guided them. God, Jesus constantly challenges the perspective we have, the way we view things, to see from his perspective, to see people from his perspective, not as lost or broken or just sinful, but as children of God. To see the bigger picture of God's working in creation as well as the intimate picture of our day-to-day -day lives and how that all fits together. And so as we look back at that perspective, it's not that the finger doesn't exist, it's not that there isn't suffering and pain today, but we take that view of what God is doing through all of human history, through all of Christianity, and to see our part in it today, tomorrow, to take that seriously. So uh, I'm going to pray, and uh, I would just encourage all of us to consider uh, what God is leading in our lives, where God is calling you. And also as a church, we, we've done a lot of uh, great ministry. We've rose to the occasion in a lot of different ways, opening our church to the school, uh, providing uh, uh, delivery of lunches, being able to deliver uh, gifts and notes to our, our children and our teens on multiple occasions. There are lots of ways in which we've been limited from being able to do ministry we've been used to, but also lots of ways in which many of you have risen to the occasion to see ways and opportunities to love others. Would you pray with me this, this morning? Dear Lord, as we uh, come before you, I pray that uh, we would take your message to heart, to know that uh, the suffering that exists in the life of Jesus, to know that uh, the people who've gone before us uh, often set a great example for us to follow as we strive to, to understand our times, as we struggle to understand our place in these times, and uh, to, to be able to see the work that you're doing, Lord. I pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts, continue to guide us in what you call us to do each and every day. Lord, I pray that um, when I retire, I look back at this time, at the time that the church was able to grow into ministering to the world, a time the church was able to be ambassadors for you, to change the way the world views you, Lord, that so convincing of the, the love of Christ that, that people would come to you in mass numbers. I, Lord, I pray that uh, this would be an opportunity for us to, to really shine the light of the gospel to, to those who, who haven't accepted that yet. Lord, I pray that uh, you would continue to bless us uh, and some of us are suffering. Some of us are experiencing things of great uh, trial and pain. And I pray that they would be surrounded by love and comfort and peace of the church body and also um, of you. And Lord, I pray that they know that we are with them in those. And I pray that those of us who are experiencing uh, times of, uh, yeah, privilege, that we would turn those into blessings for other people. We wouldn't just hold on to those or take those for granted. Lord, I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for the benediction. May we go forth with God's eyes as we follow Jesus, sharing the hope of God with others. You're dismissed.